Romans chapter 7 is uh, another continuation of what Paul has been discussing so far in the book of Romans. It's now going to address those who believe that being saved isn't enough without the law. And this is an ongoing problem in Christianity. Uh, it's an ongoing problem back then with the Jews. That the Jews that were getting saved felt like they still had to follow uh, some legalism. They still had to follow rules and regulations to maintain their salvation. I know that many today, many churches still teach that you have some obligation to maintain your salvation. You, you've heard the scripture, work out your own salvation. And uh, there are people that believe that means that if you're not working it out properly, you can lose your salvation. And so that's concerning. Because I don't believe that we can lose our salvation based on uh, what we do or don't do. As a matter of fact, I don't believe we can lose our salvation. Once you're saved, you're saved. It's a seal that's put on you. I know this is not exactly how God does it. You know, I... I I do that to myself, uh, but I know that there is a seal that God puts upon us, the Holy Spirit, we're told, that is sealing us until the day of redemption. And so the good news is that regardless of whether or not we can see the seal, we're sealed. But there are people that go around believing that they're sealed based on the work that they do. And so if you have a bad week and don't do very much work, you can lose your seal. And I don't believe that's what the Word of God teaches. So as we read here in chapter 7, we're going to find out more about the law and about salvation and about what the perspective was back then. And Paul is going to speak from a personal point of view also. This legalism that is rampant in the church, and it was back then too, it's believing that you can be holy based on your adherence to the law. And knowing the law the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, knowing them, I'm in trouble. How about you? You know, it, it, it's like, you know what, I haven't found, I, hang on, let me come up with Ten Commandments that I can keep. And then, you know, maybe I'll be doing a little better. But that's not to God's standards. You know, if I made up commandments, okay, uh, don't speed on the freight. That's it, I'm busted. You know, don't get angry for someone, you know, in the supermarket because they cut in front of you. I'm, I'm going to hell because of that. You know, if I were the one to make up the rules, you know. And so when God made the Ten Commandments and gave them 
to man. He gave him to Israel and, it, and he said, here, take these Ten Commandments. This is what you live by. And oh, by the way, you're going to have to be sacrificing lots of animals because you're going to find out you can't live by these. You're going to have to have a, a, another method. And by the way, animal sacrifice didn't make them sin free. It just covered up the sin for a period of time. It atoned for their sin for a period of time. It wasn't until Jesus that sins were wiped out. And once Jesus wiped them out, they were wiped out for good. So Paul is writing this chapter intending to keep people from falling into the trap of legalism. Today's message is titled, Sin Kills. And we continue our study through the book of Romans. In chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 1, where we read, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, meaning that he's speaking to Jews, ones who know the law are Jews. There were Gentiles that also knew the law. They weren't exactly proselytes. They weren't following the, the Jewish law as Jews, but there were Gentiles that were following the Jewish law also, believing that the law could save them. And uh, he's writing to all that knew the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And so the law is in charge. We don't think of it that way. The law is only in charge as long as we allow the law to be in charge. There are many people that don't believe in the law. And so the law doesn't have dominion over them as far as they think, as far as they are concerned, the law. But they're going to be judged by the law when the time comes, regardless of whether they believe it or not. So Paul is speaking to those that know the law. In our world today, as Christians, we know the law because it's in our Bible. And so we recognize what the law is, but we are not under the law. We're going to get to that in our reading today. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies... She's released from the law of her husband. And so then if while her husband lives, she marries another, she would be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress. Paul's not talking about marriage here. Although he is referring to marriage, that isn't his primary focus here. He's not focused on marriage. He's focused on the marriage of us and the law. The relationship between the human and the law. We're all under the law before Jesus Christ. We are not committed to the law as the Jews were, but were under the law. When between um, Adam 
and Moses, there was no law. But we were still in sin because of what took place in the garden, because of the sin of the garden. We covered that previously in other chapters. But here now, he's reiterating this to get the focus on the fact, let me give you an example. And he gives us a picture. A woman that's married is committed to the marriage unless the husband dies. And when there is the death, now she's set free from that commitment. And in verse 4, we're told, Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So here we are dead to the law because we're married to Christ. We have changed who our husband is. And that's for men and women. We are the bride of Christ. And he died for us. And because of his death, now we marry into his death. That was also in the song we were singing. Because he died, we now can live because we are connected to him. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. So we were in our flesh until the time where we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And when we did that, when we received him, we were now put, we put the law to death. And now we put ourselves to death to Jesus Christ. What he has done for us, we've claimed as our own. And now we were at work in our members bearing fruit to death, but no longer. It's past tense. We were bearing fruit to death. But the law arouses, we're told, passions within us. The law arouses passions. Well, uh, the law tells us that we can't do something, really, is what the law says. Do this, don't do that. We can't do this. And our passion is aroused. You know, perfect example of this. Children. You go tell a child that he can't do something. Don't touch that. Don't do this. You know, and what's the first thing that, don't touch that, touch it and they and they do it again and so you have to let them touch it to find out why you know so that they can realize hold on there's a reason behind this but it happens with adults too doesn't it oh you shouldn't do it how come we can never learn from someone else's mistakes you know uh, they, you know, history repeats itself. 
Uh, and uh, over and over again, we see how history repeats itself because stupid people do stupid things. No, all of us do stupid things. It doesn't matter how smart we are. We still think that we are the exception to the rule, that we could get away with it. We can make it work for us. Oh, they don't know what they're doing. We can do, have you ever been in that situation before? Have you ever done something that you've seen someone else fail at and thought, oh, but I can do it differently. I can make this better. And we fail too. It's just part of being human. You know, what, what, what was up with Eve in the garden? You know, she was like, the first one, here's, here's a snake. Oh, if you eat of this, you'll be like God. Really? Well, obviously, you haven't eaten of this because you don't look anything like God. <laughs> you don't act like God. You, have, you go eat it and let me see if you act like God, if you become God. Uh, you know, but she was foolish enough to believe you know, that she would become as God. And so she bought right into it. And that's the, the sin nature of man. We continue to do stupid things. The law doesn't bear fruit, by the way. The law can't bear fruit. The, the only thing the law can do is tell us that we broke the law, that we're outside of the law. That's what the law, the law just made a boundary. Here's the boundary. It doesn't save you because everyone has broken the law at some point or another. So it doesn't save you. You are, if you're guilty of one sin, you're guilty of them all. If you're guilty of breaking one law, you're guilty of them all. And so it doesn't bear fruit. It's not like if you keep the law well, you have fruit in your lives. If you can do that, then maybe you can store up enough fruit to get you through the times of famine, the times where I'm not following the law, where I make mistakes, where I choose to be willfully disobedient to God. I, I, well, I've stored up a bunch of fruit, so that'll get me through. It doesn't work that way. There's no fruit in following the law. But we know it's impossible to keep the law, so we need another way. And then Paul says in verse 6, Now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. It's a spiritual thing. Becoming believers in Jesus Christ is spiritual. We have received the Holy Spirit and the letter, the oldness of the letter is not applied here. It's not how good we can maintain the Ten Commandments, and that's how we're going to find salvation. But it's because of what Jesus has done for us. Unfortunately, many people are still trying on their own uh, to get there based on doing good works. 
He's telling them, hey, you're dead to the law. If you're dead to the law and you're married to Christ, you go back to the law, you're committing adultery. That's a problem in many of our lives when we try to add the law to our relationship with Jesus. When we try to grade ourselves based on how well we're keeping the law. Well, I'm doing pretty good. You know how we do that and get away? My neighbor, he is such a jerk. And, you know, if, if you knew my neighbor, you would know how good I was. You know, so you may not like me, but I'm better than him. You know, so let me introduce you. And that's ridiculous. We, we are comparing ourselves to the wrong person. Here, let me introduce you to Jesus. And let's see, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. What he didn't say in that, but is loud and clear as I follow Christ means there are times that he doesn't follow Christ. There are times where he acts in the flesh. Now, when he is writing these letters, we, uh, you know, picture him as being perfect, as being holy, as being this wonderful man of God. Do you know why? It's the Holy Spirit writing these letters. We don't see the times that he failed, the times he made mistakes. We don't see all of those things in his letters because the Holy Spirit is pointing us to the truth and, and pointing us to what we need in our lives. And, and Paul, even when he was whining about having a thorn in his side, and I joke about whining. We all pray when we have troubles in our lives. Thorns in our sides. We, he wasn't whining. He was bringing his petition before God because that's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to whine to our spouse. Oh, everything is so lousy. I'm just going through so much right now. A filet mignon would really be nice. <laughs> you know, we could whine and it's not going to make much of a difference whining. Uh, but sometimes when we pray about incidents or situations in our life and the Lord intervenes, then we say, man, we have such a good doctor. Well, that lawyer was so good. And we give credit where credit is not due. It was because of God's direct intervention in our lives. And so what does he tell Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. Paul never talked about it again. Paul never brought up the fact that he had this thorn in his side, whatever it was. You didn't hear him continue, but Lord. It's stopping me from doing what I want to do. It's stopping me from, you know, uh, doing your will, Lord. If you take that away, I'll be able to do your will even better. 
sometimes we have things in our lives because God wants us to do something and if we were living pain-free, struggle-free, trial-free, we would do it our way and not his way. We would know this is how we want to get it done and we would do it that way. Even though if we know God's will, we would still do it our way because that's the easy way. That's the way we see things and picture things. But God sometimes keeps that there because we know that we can't do it without him. Because we're going through whatever we're going. I, Lord, I can't do this without you because you're the one that's going to get me through this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, really what that is saying is regardless of my situation, Christ will get me through. He will accomplish what he wants done regardless of my situation. And so when we picture things that way, we can trust it. We build faith based on our belief in that. When we believe that God truly can do anything, even using this clump of messed up clay, this crackpot, well, that's what we're told. We're, we're broken pottery. And, and he can use this to accomplish his will. He gets the glory, not us. And, and we have to be sure uh, to give it to him. So what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, we would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said, you shall not covet. Man, he goes right to the crux. Coveting. He, he goes right, he's going to cut right to the heart there because he wants us to realize without that law, we wouldn't have thought it was a big deal, coveting. What's a big deal about it? Today, it's a big deal. That's why there are so many commercials. I need that. I want that. You know, why are all the pharmaceutical companies advertising as if you could just buy this stuff off the shelf? Oh, you know, Trojan, iron, iron, whatever. I'm going to go get me some of that because I feel like I have that problem. How many people self-diagnose, you know, and, and they go to the doctor, well, you know, I think I need this. You know, some doctors will say, okay, and they'll just give you the prescription so that, you know, they, they get you off their back. And, and then you're going to have to come back and get some other prescription because they just poisoned you with whatever it was. You ever see the list of stuff, you know? Oh, by the way, if you take this, you know, it's going to cause heart failure, blindness, your hearing's going to go, and so on and so forth. But you're going to feel good about it, you know? Makes you really want to take the whole bottle. The law doesn't 
cause sin, it reveals sin. See, once God gave the law, it was the set of rules that were defined that it told us whether we were righteous or sinners. And we all failed. We were all sinners. It didn't cause the sin. It just revealed the fact that we were sinners. And it still does that today. But we don't live by the law. We live under grace. Paul uses this example when he said, you shall not come. Uh, covet because everyone then became guilty under the law because everyone you know even back then they didn't have commercials they didn't have social media you know but they had camels oh look at that camel <laughs> I can't believe he got that camel I was going to get a new camel now he's got that camel and, and look you know, he has, look, he has a kid that actually goes to work. What, I, I want a kid that goes to work. I wonder if he'll trade. You know, and, and that's, that's all they had back then, you know. So coveting has been a problem since Eve coveted the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam coveted whatever Eve was eaten and you know they both then gave in to their flesh you see a group of kids playing and you know and all the kids are playing over here and everything and this one kid is playing with some toys and they another one comes over and says here let me give me that no mine Really? What store did you buy that at? It's not yours. Someone gave it to you. You're playing with someone else's toy. But mine, that's all they know. They started coveting at two years old, one year old. They're coveting. This theirs. And it's just the nature of humans. That's the way we are. And God wants to get us out of that, but uh, it's still hard for us to realize that that's the way we live. That's our nature that's inside of us. Verse 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. When I was growing up, I knew I was a sinner because I went to Catholic school. And I knew from an early age that I was a sinner because I knew the Ten Commandments. I, I was told by, you know how I knew that I was a sinner? the nuns would hit me with that ruler trying to knock the sin out, out of my life. And I knew that I was a sinner. Uh, but I really didn't grasp hold of it. I didn't claim it for myself. And as I grew up, I 
left the church, well, my parents said, no, there's no more of this. We don't need this anymore in his life. And so I didn't go to church anymore, but I still knew that I was a sinner. I still knew what sin was. I, I didn't compare, I didn't pull out the Ten Commandments every day to see how I was doing. I wasn't going to condemn myself, but I knew that it was sin. But once I knew, it revived the sin in my life. It, it said, look, you're a sinner. You're out of luck when it comes to making it to heaven. There, you're in trouble. You're not going to make it because you've broken these laws. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to make it because I'm not good enough to go to heaven? I have bad news. You're right. We're not making it to heaven based on how good we are. That's it. End of story. It's hard to have church and tell everyone they're going to hell. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's not based on what you're doing, how good you are. It's based on what Jesus did. That's the only way we get to heaven. It's based on what he has done. He completed the registration for us to get into heaven. He paid the registration fee for us to get into heaven. So when we look at it that way, we think of, well, how can I pay him back? How, how much do I have to give? How much do I have to do? How long is it going to take me to work off this debt that, you know, he paid for me? Folks, you can live 50 lifetimes. You're, you're not even scratching the surface. You can't. There's nothing you can do to pay off the debt. It was a gift that you received. I've received many gifts in the past. And I've never paid for any of them. They were given to me as a gift. And I've taken them. I'm... I'm grateful for every gift I've ever received. But I don't feel, oh, all right, now I have to pay for that. Well, then it wasn't a gift. If I have to pay for something, it's not a gift. And we are outside the law because we've been given a gift that gives us access to heaven through grace through what Jesus did for us, not for what we have done and how we have earned it. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Sin produced the evil desire. And for apart from the law, sin was dead. And now I am living it again because I am under the law. So verse 10, it says, And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. We were put to death 
by sin and by the law. Without the law, there is no sin. And without sin, there is no death. There's no corruption of life. But what happens when sin is exposed? It doesn't bring life. It brings death. Sin deceives us. We're told in Hebrews 3.12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So this is written to those who are believers in God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today. Exhort each other, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's why we get together. That's why we post things online so that people can read them and be encouraged by them. I listen to other pastors online. I listen to what they have to say to be encouraged. I post my stuff online so that others can be encouraged by it. We don't have services every day, but there are plenty of places that we can get fed spiritually. That's why we do events and get together, so that while it is today, we're going to encourage each other. And that's how come we build these friendships, that we can pray for each other, encourage each other, bless each other. That's how we continue to grow in our faith and in Christ. Our hearts can become hard to sin if we don't do that. That's how come I encourage everyone, be in the Word daily. While it is called today, pick up the Bible and read. I don't care if you read one scripture or 10 chapters. Read. Listen to what God may be speaking to you in those scriptures. Sometimes I'll pick up my Bible, I'll read one scripture, and I'll dwell on that for a half hour because God was speaking to me in that one scripture. I don't have to read 10 chapters to get some value out of scripture. If God wants to speak to you, he, he doesn't have to say very much at all. He'll just give you one piece that will speak to your heart. And you'll know that he's spoken to you. Dwell on it. Because everything that I read in the word of God causes me to draw close to him. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, hearing this word, not only in my ears, in my heart, in my mind, hearing it causes faith to build within me. All too often, I read about some character in, in the Bible and I'll say, that's me. That's, I've acted that way. I've done those stupid things before. I, I, generally, it's not when we're talking about Samson or anything. Uh, generally, it's, it's when we're talking about, well, maybe it is Samson when I did stupid things. But uh, generally, it's someone like Peter who like, hey, get out of the boat. 
come on, walk on some water. You know, glub, glub. And, and it's because I picture myself as being able to do the things that Jesus does until I take my eyes off of Jesus. And then I start sinking in the water. I picture myself as Peter when Jesus told him, the devil is looking to sift you like sand, you know, but I'm praying for you. <sighs> Thank goodness, because I feel like I'm being sifted sometimes. You know what I mean? You ever feel that way? Like that's, that's when we go to the word. That's when we rely on scripture to remind us of whose we are, not who we are, whose we are. And that gets us through those times where we just don't know how we're going to get through it. That's why a relationship is more than just a Sunday trip to church. We need to be communicating on a regular basis. Jesus told the Jews who believed him in him in John 8.31, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from sin. Free from the bondage of sin. Free from the bondage of death. The truth will make you free. We have to remember that, especially when we feel like we're in bondage, when we feel trapped. We have to realize we have the truth and he can set us free. Verse 12. Therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Wow. It, it well, let me go back to verse 11. I apologize. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Sin killed us because of deception. It deceived me. And therefore, the law is holy. The law is holy because it tells us where perfection is. Doing this, it, it will, if you can do these 10 things, the law will make you holy. Well, there's no one. No one that can keep those Ten Commandments and be holy. The law does not save us, even if you could keep them, because you failed in the past. So if from today until you die, you keep the law, it's too late. You've broken it. You can't keep the law. And once you fail, you've failed forever. It has burdened you forever with death. It doesn't produce sin. It exposes sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. The word carnal means of the flesh. So the law is spiritual and our flesh is carnal. We're stuck, trapped in these dirt clods. Uh, we're 
you know, God breathed into the dirt and brought it to life. And it was the breath of life that God breathed into us. Well, we're still the same dirt clods. You just remove all the moisture out of us and we'll just go back to dust. From dust you came and dust you will return. And, and so that's who we are. But we have an escape. It's not by the law. The escape is by Jesus Christ. It's believing in what he has done. And Paul isn't telling us he found a way to be perfect. Sometimes we think that, oh, Paul has found the secret to perfection. Then he writes in verse 16, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, Huh? That is confusing. Well, if he's doing what he doesn't want to do, then he's against the law. He's sinning. His mind says, I want to do this, but he's not doing it. The law is good because it showed him that he wasn't doing what he should be doing. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then, I apologize, I, I started off in the wrong place. Uh, for what we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. So then in verse 15, he says, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. That's it. We can blame sin on everything now. Right? We have a scapegoat. It's sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Man, that is deep. Paul is now getting us to the point where he is admitting his flaws. He's admitting his failures. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. And so he's now saying, even though I want to do good, evil is within me. Anybody feel like that sometimes? <coughs> Excuse me. I, I know there are times where I really want to do the right thing, but there's sin that causes me to take my eyes off of doing the right thing and I, I do the wrong thing. So, uh, you know, you have someone moving and you're in their house helping them move and as you're in there helping them move, you're like, wow, they got some nice stuff here. Look at that. Well, you, you were being a good person helping, and then you started coveting their stuff. <laughs> and then you, 
I, I can't believe they watched that movie. I've seen that. That movie is not good. You know, they're watching those. What is going on here? You're judging now. And you just started off by wanting to help them. I wanted to do something good and help them move. And now I've become their judge and I've started coveting what they have. And that's the flesh. That's the sin within us. It's our fleshly desires that get in the way. And that's the biggest struggle we will have until the Lord takes us home. Because we're stuck in these bodies. We're stuck in the flesh. And Paul wanted to do good. He was, he was one of the leading apostles out there writing all of these letters. He always wanted to do good. But he's admitting right here he couldn't do it. He couldn't keep what he wanted to do. Verse 22. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. It almost sounds like he just made an excuse and we can now go and sin and say, okay, because we're in the flesh that we can sin. He wasn't saying that at all. He was trying to fight sin uh, through the law of God. But that doesn't work either. Trying to apply the law to our lives will not qualify us and will not allow us to fight sin. The inward man may delight in the law of God, but the old natures, man, they continue to eat at us. And I came out here to do a happy message, to make everyone feel good, you know, so that when you go home and you go out to the restaurant and eat, you can feel really good about. But for seven chapters, Paul has been talking about the depravity of man, the problems that we have with the flesh, the struggles that we have being humans. And it's not like you had to do seven chapters. One chapter would have done it. One chapter would have been enough. Okay, now give me the good news. But he wanted to approach this from every single angle. And now he goes all the way to the point where he says, look, I struggle with this too. It isn't just you. It's all of us. We all struggle. It, any pastor that gets up there and says, I'm sin free, they're in trouble. Because first of all, they're liars. Anyone who says that without sin is a liar. And 
they get up there and they try to promote the idea that you can be sin free also. That because you are believers in Jesus Christ, you're not only saved, but you're sin free. Uh, the, the reality is, and every one of us knows this, I don't care if you've even pronounced with your mouth, I'm sin free. I, I live a sin free life. You know you're a liar. So you just broke that truth that you were sin free because you lied. It's part of being human. It's part of recognizing who we are in Christ. There's only one perfect man, Jesus Christ. He's the only one that was sin free from beginning to until he took sin upon himself for us. That's what he did for us. He took our sin. So are we sin free? No. No, we're we're sin covered. We're we're covered because of him. And it, it's not, it wasn't free. It cost Jesus Christ his life going to the cross. There's nothing free about that. And so we receive that. We accept that as our own. We close recognizing the fact that sin kills. We can do our best to obey. Uh, and if we're guilty of one, we're guilty of them all. We're just guilty. The first seven chapters, Paul points that out and says, hey, you're not good enough and you never will be no matter how well you keep the law. You're never going to be good enough. It almost appears like we can do nothing to achieve favor with God. That would be a correct statement. There's nothing we can do to achieve his favor, the only thing that's possible is to receive his gift. And that's not a work. It's a gift. It's receiving what he has done. So Paul wants us to realize that grace isn't about what we can do for God, but what he has done for us. And next week, we get the good news. That's when all the good news starts, next week. So I'm glad you were here so the rest of the story will begin then. Amen. Mm -hmm.